Local media outlets are essential. In 2020, as communities, businesses, and citizens came to terms with a pandemic that disrupted the flow of daily life, the need for accurate local information escalated. Information including which businesses were open, which were closed, where to get tested, and vaccinated. When media organizations closed their newsrooms and went remote, the reporting did not stop. They held local government accountable, documented historic moments for social justice, shared the humanity behind tragedy. Meanwhile, the funding for that work was drying up. Businesses whose ads helped support the media were closed. Revenue disappeared. Donating today at SaveChicagoMedia.org can ensure your local newsroom continues reporting the stories that matter despite the current economy. Investing in local media is funding your community. Give today and help us do the work that matters. Donate now at SaveChicagoMedia.org. Bienvenidos a todos. You are listening to the Paseo Podcast, where we highlight stories by, from, and about the Puerto Rican community. My name is Joshua Smeza de Leon, and I want to thank you for downloading this episode. If you are listening to this on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or anywhere else podcasts are streamed, give this podcast a like and subscribe to it. It makes a world of difference. We started this podcast as a way to bring attention to the diverse and vibrant stories that make up the Puerto Rican communities here in Paseo Boricua in Chicago and around the world. From La Isla to the diaspora, we hope you enjoy what you hear. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Paseo Podcast. It's Joshua here. If you want to follow me, I'm at JS De Leon on Twitter. If you want to pitch a story or you want to reach out to the show, just visit our website, paseomedia.org. Find us at Paseo Podcast on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. We actually post the interview portions of our episodes on our YouTube channel, so you can give those a watch there. While you're there, like our videos and subscribe to our channel. It really helps us out. Uh, we really want to get to 100 subscribers, so uh, any love you can show our way is much appreciated. On today's show, we welcome returning guest Federico A. De Jesus. He is an advisor for the Center for American Progress. You may remember him from the last time we had him on the show. We actually were discussing the PR Self-Determination Act. Um, we're also discussing the other status bill currently in Congress. Uh, I'm really just trying to understand both, you know, how they differ, how uh, how there may be similarities, where their um, communities of support lie. Um, and we also talked about his work with Powerful Puerto Rico. We also welcome Laura Rodriguez. She is the Vice President for Government Affairs at the Center for American Progress. She's worked for members of Congress in the past, one being uh, U.S. Senator Bill Nelson, who she advised on Latino policy, outreach, and media. We're gonna talk to Federico and Laura about their recent essay for the Center for American Progress. It's titled, An Urgent Rescue Plan for Puerto Rico. Uh, in the piece, one section was dedicated to the eight actions the executive branch should take to aid Puerto Rico. So we're going to focus on that particular section for this episode, but we'll include the link to the article in the show notes if you want to read the full thing. Make sure you stay tuned until the end because, um, you know, in addition to uh, discussing obsessions and favorite PR food spots, um, and I don't know how he managed to do it, but we actually got a Benefer mention in there. Uh, of course, um, referencing the fact that uh, it seems as though Jennifer Lopez and Ben Affleck are back together. So definitely a denser topic uh, in this episode, but uh, ends on a bit of a lighter note. So uh, definitely stick around to the end of the episode. But before we get into the interview, couple reminders. Like you heard at the top of the show, and we'll hear again in Spanish deeper into this episode, the Paseo podcast in partnership with the Chicago Independent Media Alliance, or CIMA, is in a month-long fundraising campaign. As of this recording, we're in the quintuple digits of funds raised, but there's still a ways to go. If you wanna join us in the work of sharing Puerto Rican stories in a way that holds local and federal government accountable, documents historical moments for social justice, and shares the humanity within the vast spectrum of culture and identity that exists in the Boricua community, visit savechicagomedia.org to donate, and to ensure independent media like the Paseo podcast continues reporting the stories that matter despite the current economy. Again, that's savechicagomedia.org. I've also included the link in the show notes for reference in case you wanna just hit that link, go there, give us a, a, a little donation. 
Um, but more importantly, just show that you support our work. I mean, I think you can show your support in multiple ways, um, but every little bit helps, especially in monetary ways, because we're a small but scrappy group of volunteers. So anything you can give really helps us do the work that matters. Also, don't forget to register for our June 12th Basel podcast discussion group event in partnership with the Chicago Public Library. It's virtual, so you don't have to be in Chicago to participate. You don't even need a library card. So um, we're going to be talking about uh, different topics that we cover here on the show. So if you want to dive deeper into the topics we discuss on the show and meet me, uh, at least virtually, uh, then check out the partner section of our website, basalemedia.org, and click on the Chicago Public Library logo. You can also go to the events tab on shypublib.org and uh, register there. There's only a few spots, um, so you know definitely go there, reserve your seat. Um, again, it's virtual and uh, spots are going fairly quickly. So um, we'd love to see as many people that can take advantage of this discussion group as possible. Jump in, have a great discussion. Um, you know, we're going to have, uh, I think, a really good uh, Boricua breakdown um, of you know, some of the, the issues of our time, at least as it relates to the Puerto Rican community. Normally, at about this point in the episode, I share a Puerto Rican news rundown. But I'm going to be on vacation, so I'm recording this way before any new news even comes out. But don't worry, though. We'll be posting about the latest happenings in the diaspora and on the island on our Twitter and Facebook pages. So you can definitely keep up with us there, engage with us on those platforms. Um, we'd love to see you. That's all I have for now. Let's jump into the interview. Welcome to the Paseo Podcast. Uh, really happy to have you here listening to us or watching us on our YouTube channel. We have two guests. One of them is a returning guest. Um, but let's start with our new guest. Our new guest uh, today is Laura Rodriguez. She is the Vice President for Government Affairs at the Center for American Progress. And we also have a returning guest, Federico A. de Jesus. In this uh, particular episode, he is in the role of advisor for the Center for American Progress. If people listen to the previous episode, we talked about the PR Self-Determination Act. You'll see that Federico is a man of many talents, wears many hats. Um, ultimately, we're super happy to have them both on the show today. Laura, Federico, uh, welcome to the Paseo Podcast. How are you doing? We're here. Great. It's really, really good to talk to you. Cool. All right, Laura, since you are new to the show, let's uh, let's start off with you. What should our audience know about you? Oh, boy. Well, uh, I have a, a, a big background in uh, Puerto Rico, starting from my local government days about 16 lifetimes ago when I worked for the city of Miami. And uh, as I'm sure everyone in your audience knows, there's a huge diaspora there of Puerto Ricans, and I became very close to uh, a lot of the groups like the Puerto Rican Chamber down there, as well as Borinquen Health Clinic. Um, and then, you know, Puerto Rico has just followed me um, in many ways in my career uh, when I moved over to Senator Bill Nelson's office. And, and then, of course, um, here at CAP, I got to work, you know, with this team putting together policies uh, to help people on the island. And it's been it's been a real pleasure uh, to continue that work. And my kind of um, love affair with Puerto Rico and the people of Puerto Rico. Great. Well, welcome to the show. Federico, what should our audience know about you? So uh, for those uh, that don't want to go to the other uh, episode to find that out, really quick, I was born and raised in, in Puerto Rico really active political family, uh, been in DC uh, via Philadelphia, first two years, then DC for the last 20. So I'm dating myself, um, went to college there, um, fell in love with the city. Actually, before I got there, my mom was born there. My grandfather studied medicine there. I went to Model UN in DC. So DC has kind of been my backyard for, for a long time. And uh, I'm really active, obviously, in, in Puerto Rico issues, was working on the Hill and uh, in presidential campaigns where I met Laura and one of those or another place. Um, and so wherever we can cause good trouble, I, I usually tend to be around there. Great. Well, it's good to have you back on the show. 
Um, I would love to hear, Federico, I know you've answered this question already, but for people that haven't listened to the other episodes you were on, uh, what part of Puerto Rico is your family from? Sure. So my on my dad's side, uh, they're from Ponce, which is in the south, traditionally the second city of the island, as some know. And from my mom's side, uh, from San Juan and Ibonito, um, in the center of the island, in the mountain towns, uh, my great grandmother uh, was from Guayanilla, but lived in Ibonito most of her life. Um, and so little bits and pieces from all over the island. I think, Laura, you are the first Colombian to be on the Paseo podcast. So uh, <laughs> congratulations. I'm just an honorary Puerto Rican. Um, <laughs> my family comes from uh, from Colombia, actually. Uh, and my my connection to Puerto Rico is what I what I mentioned earlier is that is when I started my career in government and really working closely with the diaspora and everybody um, from the island was that was kind of how the connection came for me. And uh, happy to hear that you always have an invite to the barbecue. That's always good. Uh, um, so Federico and Laura, you you had both written this piece uh, for the Center for American Progress. Uh, people can look it up online. Uh, it's titled or the headline is uh, an urgent rescue plan for Puerto Rico. Um, in this in this piece, uh, there's a specific part that I, I wanted us to focus on for today's conversation. Uh, it's that subhead that, that basically goes into or basically names. Uh, eight actions the executive branch should take to aid the island, um, with one of those, of course, being to just work with Congress to get to actually get stuff done. Um, so that's one out of the eight. But I'd like us to focus on the other seven. Um, so I was thinking, Laura, you know, we'll start with you and just kind of go piece by piece. You know, what's the context behind each of these actions and what's the impact they're going to have on La Isla? Um, so would love it if you could uh, help us take the deep dive, break down for us, you know, that that next action, that next executive action that should be taken. Uh, it was reestablish the president's task force on Puerto Rico. Um, can you can you share a bit more on, on what that action means? Sure thing, uh, Joshua. So so one thing that I want to start with is the reason that we thought this was such an important piece to write is that we finally have somebody in the White House who's willing to listen. So um, what, we, what we really wanted to put together was something that said, hey, here are the steps to take. Not that they're easy. There's really nothing easy about any of this stuff, but that it gives them a, a map uh, to, to kind of get to where we believe um, there are steps that can be taken to help people on the island right now. Um, the, the first of those, like you mentioned, is, is reestablishing the president's task force on Puerto Rico. So this was something that was started under Bill Clinton's uh, administration and had been kept going. And it was originally to pretty narrow to look at the self-determination or the, the island status issues. Uh, but it, uh, under the Obama administration, it actually morphed and, into something, in our opinion, that was a lot more um, I don't want to say useful, but it, it, it expanded the scope of the task force to look at all the different ways to help the island and what we, and, and it was a great start. So what we're asking is not just to reestablish it, but to reestablish it and give it some real authority and power by putting people in the agencies that are going to be able to help a lot of the issues in the island, um, people in Treasury, in HUD, we want high level folks who are already there. We're not asking for another level of bureaucracy. We're looking at people who are already there to be put together in a room to be in charge of what the island needs and how they can help them. Part of this is with technical assistance. We've found that there's a lot of issues. And I know that when we go down to some of the other um, action items. We'll touch on some of this, but there's been a lot of issues on the island with technical clarity, um, language issues. And so we're looking at not, not terribly complicated solutions, but things that take real political uh, will to do. Uh, and, and that's what we're asking them to do, to, to start with that, because once you are starting to focus on it from a high level in all the different agencies, then um, we start to get the ball rolling. And bear in mind that the, under the Trump administration, the, the task force was dormant. It was never established. 
So obviously reestablishing it in and itself is a great step and beefing it up like Laura mentioned would obviously take us further. I appreciate that context. So, so if I'm understanding correctly, like this task force theoretically would have like oversight over things like federal reconstruction efforts would be able to be tasked with addressing corrupt, any potential corruption or outright corruption on the island. Um, you know, figuring out ways to foster a um, more equitable uh, relationship among Puerto Rican central government and federal agencies. Like there's there's a long list of things that this task force would be able to accomplish if it was, in fact, um, reestablished. Do I understand? Am I understanding that correctly? Yes, absolutely. Um, and again, to, to the point that I made, like at the end there is it's really just to get step one started, really, uh, to get the focus on those issues, everything that you just said, and working with the different agencies, with the DOJ, with HUD, with, you know, HHS, all, all of those uh, agencies that really can tackle the problems that we, that have been, you know, plaguing Puerto Rico for so long, really because of a lack of will to, from the federal government to assist. Laura, let's uh, let's stay with you. Um, the next action in this piece was waive the Jones Act for Puerto Rico. Can you explain what the Jones Act is and what waiving it would mean for the island? So, so I'll I'll do a little correction there for you. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> because actually, it's not it's that we're not asking them to waive the Jones Act. We are asking for a two-year pilot program to uh, to kind of explore what happens when the when the Jones Act is waived for Puerto Rico. The Jones Act requires for ships coming to the island to be um, made and uh, and staffed by US the US citizens only, right? US owned ships and and for many many decades we or decades but yes, but for many many years especially recently with all the natural disasters We've found that that act uh, has created bottlenecks for the island trying to get aid at a time when we really can't afford it. But it also makes everything a lot more expensive, right? Because there's got there's that that piece of um, that that uh, regulation that's you know just stopping other ships that might be able to bring things in a little more cheaply uh, from getting to the island, and so. This is not a non-controversial request. <laughs> so it, this is something that um, not everyone certainly agrees on. This is why it's been a contentious issue for many years in uh, both US and Puerto Rico politics. And so we certainly understand that there are folks who do not think that it's, you know, people cite national security as a risk and jobs, American jobs, et cetera. However, um, there are many different studies that have shown that many of these things are, may not actually be an issue that the Jones Act is helping. And therefore our proposal is kind of a middle ground is saying, let's try this out for two years and see if in fact, A, it actually does make a real economic impact for the island in a positive way, or B, if it really doesn't, or it really does, you know, put a lot of people out of work or it puts, you know, security at risk. Let's put it to the test for two years and, and, and really see what it does in action and perhaps put the whole question to bed finally. Yeah. Well, and, and we, we've had, um, we've had guests on before and talked about the Jones acts and it's, it's one of those things, especially coming it just past a hundred years of when it was established in say 1920. Um, and uh, yeah, it's just, it's it's a little mind-boggling that we haven't figured out a way to update that law. Um, so it's really interesting to hear that you know let's pilot this out and actually have hard data to point to um, because all the other data I've seen, and this is actually mentioned in your piece, that um, it's been shown that the Jones Act costs Puerto Ricans 1.5 billion in higher in added costs for goods. Um, so especially like with the context of what's in the news currently with supply chain issues, uh, mm -hmm. rising inflation, 
you know, it's already expensive to purchase goods on the island. Now restricting the ability to, to import goods um, is just going to exacerbate the issue for people that already on average, the salary is 20 to 30 grand a year. So it's, it's, it's very much a pinch on the, on the consumer. Um, so it's, it's just, it's fascinating that we haven't addressed this yet. Um, I, I would say one quick thing to yes. kind of interject is that it does also apply to like Hawaiian Alaska, mm -hmm. right? However, to compare <laughs> Hawaiian Alaska to Puerto Rico, which is something that we also, you know, are politically kind of dealing with is like, we're talking apples and oranges here. Hawaii and Alaska don't have the same A issues, B incomes, right, as, as people on the island. And what we're talking about is really hampering that economy and the economic power of the people on the island in a real way, or so we think. So we're trying to find out. <laughs> the next action that was listed, and we'll kick it over to you, Federico. Um, this action was extend relief to Vieques and Culebra. What would this action mean for La Isla? Sure. So, so Vieques and Culebra are two small um, island municipalities off the eastern coast of, of Puerto Rico. Vieques being the largest one, about twice the size of Manhattan, but very densely populated. Both were used at target practice and, and military exercises for decades. Uh, the Navy uh, left Culebra in about 1975, and they left Vieques after 60 years in 2003, where they used depleted uranium, napalm, Agent Orange, a bunch of toxics. Um, and the rate of cancer, at least in Vieques, is about 30% higher than the rest of the island. In the case of Culebra, um, there's still military contaminants all over the beach. There's a famous picture that every tourist likes to take of that tank on the beach. Um, but the, uh, the few years ago, a, a literal bomb was floating on the beach. So, you know, aside from the health, the economy and, and tourism, um, you know, everything is peaches in, in these islands. The reality is that life is tough. Uh, ferries are the main uh, mode for transportation for most uh, Viequenses and Culebrenses who go to the main island for their health care, for, you know, other professional appointments. And so it's very taxing because it's un unreliable and it's expensive. Um, and because there's so much more disease disproportionately from the rest of the main island, um, they have to go in, on these ferries to get uh, dialysis or, um, you know, all, all sorts of treatments for, for critical disease um, because there isn't a full-fledged hospital in Vieques after Hurricane Maria. Um, so all of these issues are interrelated. Thank goodness that as we speak, the director, the new director of FEMA is in Vieques. Um, and so we're, we're glad that the Biden administration is starting to address these issues. And in the essay that we published, we, we listed a few items on specifically which agencies um, can help with the healthcare component, the decontamination piece, and, and other portions that need the work of, of Congress. And if I could just interject there, because that point that Fede just made, this is one of the things that we're very lucky that we were able to work with when we looked at the Puerto Rico report in this way, we were able to work with our healthcare policy team, our disabilities team, our transportation and infrastructure team, uh, et cetera, et cetera, a tax team, econ economics team, and they all took a look at it. So we had, you know, while Fede and I um, wrote it, the, the input and the brain power really of all of CAP was it, we were able to kind of harness that to find these solutions and to really dig into, as Fede just mentioned, which agencies can do what. I mean, we, we are making this, um, you know, as, as not as simple, but as, as, like I said, like a map, like here is what you can do and here's where you can go to do it. And we've already figured it out for you. Or so we think. <laughs> we hope. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, next action item was boost federal agricultural support. Can you explain what that means and what that would mean for Puerto Rico? Sure, it's very simple. Uh, Puerto Rico imports more than 80% of the food it consumes. Um, the, the famous coffee uh, industry in Puerto Rico is a shadow of its former self mm -hmm. when um, the Vatican used to get the, the, the coffee from, it's coffee from Puerto Rico and the Queen of England. Um, now after Hurricane Maria, especially a lot of the new, uh, more, um, you know, uh, artisanal or, or micro coffee growers um, were hurt. And it's coming back. 
Um, but when you import 80% of your food and you have the Jones Act that makes imports more expensive, you're really talking about um, bad nutrition and bad uh, economics for, for consumers. Um, on top of that, since these are federal actions by the executive, there are uh, programs that are only available in Spanish, for example, that USDA has that they could offer in Spanish so that people in Puerto Rico could take advantage of them. And there are programs that don't apply at all in Puerto Rico um, because of its colonial status. So there are things that can be done um, through the executive branch uh, to really help boost more self-sufficiently. I, I know that it's, it may seem ironic for the U.S. government that some would call the colonial power of Puerto Rico to actually help self-sufficiency through federal programs. But in essence, that's, that's what we hope to, to achieve, to have um, less importation of, of foods and other goods and, uh, and a more robust Puerto Rican agricultural uh, economy. That stat just blew my mind. 80% of food consumed on the island um, is all, all from all, all imports, um, just out of this world. Um, Okay, the, the next action item was address ongoing public safety issues. Uh, Federico, if we could stay with you for this one, um, break this down for us, what would this mean? Sure, so Puerto Rico has suffered from a crime uh, epidemic for some time. It actually improved in the mid, mid to last decade, um, but it's coming back. Um, for example, I think it was in 2011 or 2010 per capita, Puerto Rico had more uh, assassinations than Mexico per capita. Um, it, it actually did improve significantly. After Hurricane Maria, um, there's been a large outmigration of police officers from Puerto Rico. So on top of all of the economic damage wrought by 15 years of recession, natural disasters, and the pandemic, now you have a shortage of police officers. Um, and so we've also seen, unfortunately, a lot of rowdy tourists uh, ca causing uh, problems in, in Puerto Rico and disturbances. Um, frankly, sometimes violent fights that are unnecessarily, no matter where you come from, you just shouldn't have that in a society. Um, and so uh, there's an issue with, with narco trafficking. Um, because Puerto Rico is part of the U.S. Customs Zone, Puerto Rico is kind of a bridge between the Caribbean and Latin America to, to the mainland in the U.S. And so because of that, uh, Homeland Security and all of the federal agencies are really the ones that are in charge of, of entry um, and exiting Puerto Rico. And, and it's really the, the federal agencies that you know, do narco trafficking, um, you know, obviously with, with immigration from the Dominican Republic and other islands. So it's really uh, those agencies that should be beefing up um, the Caribbean border, if you can call it that, for, for the United States um, to improve security, not just in the island, but also this is all reciprocal, right? Whatever uh, batch of drugs or violent crime that starts in Puerto Rico, you can hop on a plane and go to Miami, go to Chicago, go to Wisconsin, and, and you'll be um, you know, on the receiving end of something that should have been handled by federal agencies in Puerto Rico before reaching the state. So this is one of those other areas that's mutually beneficial for both the island and, and the federal government. Uh, quick question. So you, you had talked about it from the lens of narcotics. Um, it, with this action, were femicides also included in their violence, also like violence against the LGBTQ community? Like just looking at the stats there, I want to say for 2020 or maybe it was 2019, there was more than one uh, femicide a week on the island. Um, so just curious, like, is that also um, what you're recommending the focus be when you say address ongoing public safety issues? Or is it more just from the lens of, of um, narcotics? What you mentioned is obviously key. In fact, Puerto Rico was the U.S. jurisdiction with the most trans uh, assassinations. So that's obviously um, unacceptable. The femicide rate is unacceptable. There has been a state of, of emergency declared in, in Puerto Rico. Obviously, there are, uh, you know, Violence Against Women Act funds and COPS programs that could help. But we also focused on police reform. In Puerto Rico, there was a consent decree signed between the Civil Rights Division by then um, attorney uh, Tom Perez, who obviously was later labor secretary and then DNC chair, he signed the consent decree with the governor, uh, then Fortunio, because of civil rights abuses from the police, mainly against protesters and students, but also against the Dominican uh, population in Puerto Rico. Um, and so we, we want to make sure that those uh, consent decrees that have been signed by police departments, not just in Puerto Rico, but across the U.S., are enforced, given that when we started to write this, the Trump administration had dumped all of the consent decrees. Obviously, they didn't care about civil rights and police reform. Um, now we have an administration that does care. 
And hopefully these are some of the steps they can take uh, in Puerto Rico that hopefully could be replicated in other U.S. jurisdictions. Laura, let's go to you for this next uh, action. Um, so second to last one, it was uh, create a task force subgroup to recommend targeted challenges to federal regulations that do not comport to realities on the island. What does this mean? That is a mouthful, a lot of stuff that is encompassed in that in that action. And it's really about parity for the island and talking about making sure that the island is treated the same way that the mainland is treated with programs such as SNAP, um, taxation, right, the tax credits. This is something that we're seeing that is happening temporarily in programs like um, the American Rescue Plan bill, but those are all temporary fixes. And what we're looking for is parity in a permanent, on a permanent basis um, for, again, for fairness and to treat them as they should be treated as citizens of the country that should be, you know, enjoying the the same benefits as everyone else. Um, but Fede, I, I don't know if you wanted to add anything more specific there. Sure. So we we in the report we do ask for for parity and and basically the same programs that the Biden administration promised they would provide parity for. And and like Laura said, we've started on that road, but we we still have several programs to follow. This subgroup would actually look at what circumstances apply specifically to Puerto Rico that might not necessarily comport to the um, cookie cutter approach for a state. And, you know, I hate to do this, but let's go back to Hurricane Maria. Usually FEMA is set up to support the states who are then supposed to turn around and provide logistics for local governments who are the first responders. But in Puerto Rico, because of the blackout, there were entire towns that were cut off either because the roads were blocked off because of lack of electricity or, or, or phone coverage. And so people were complaining that the food and the supplies weren't getting to them. And FEMA was saying, but that's not our job. That's what local governments are for. We gave the money and the sources to the state, but there wasn't any local government to, to think of. So actually that's a case where FEMA could have actually, um, if the law was structured properly, aided directly to municipalities, to people who needed the aid and not having to go through all of this um, bureaucracy. Another example related to uh, disaster relief, uh, Laura mentioned the Jones Act. Uh, Trump waived it for 10 days. That really didn't do a lot. Um, and there were delays in, in delivering aid because uh, of the Jones Act. Um, and so there are particular circumstances, like, for example, the Stafford Act. I, I hate to go back to disaster um, porn, like some call it, but the disaster really marked Puerto Ricans forever. So hopefully, with this report and some of the recommendations uh, that the Biden administration has already started to take, we can adjust uh, policies to comport to the reality of Puerto Rico as opposed to some generic jurisdiction in the United States that will pretend this in an island and isn't populated with Spanish-speaking people. Mm -hmm. and, and so, and I'll just add, like, it is a big umbrella. And that's yeah. the thing. We were looking at everything under the sun that is, like, as Pedro said, like, they have certain roles for states. And then... Puerto Rico is not a state, yet they treat it like every other state. Mm -hmm. And again, no no real reality check for what the real um, issues are. Like the fact that it's an island apparently was like a surprising thing to the Trump administration. Oh my gosh. <laughs> like, this is something that they Surrounded were like- with water. Um, you know, and we laugh, but it, the fact is, like, the, those cookie cutter regulations can really hurt uh, when when you're not looking at the realities of what's on the what's on the ground and what the capabilities are of an island that is now you know half in blackout and can't yeah. deliver aid. So speaking of aid. Um, this last action was focused on targeted programming for Puerto Ricans with mental health disabilities post-disaster, um, and that that should be a priority for HHS and other agencies. Um, Federico, can you give us a bit more context, shed some light on, on this last action? What does this mean? Sure. So obviously, again, earthquakes, hurricanes are traumatic events. Puerto Rico's been going through a rough economic crisis. The out-migration crisis, um, you know, half a million or more have left the island, um, according to the last census. So that's dramatic when families are, are divided. Um, whether they can legally get on a plane and see them anytime they want is another story, right? Um, and so 
statistically speaking, um, when we compare the last statistics um, available, there's an agency in Puerto Rico called AMSCA. They are basically the ones in charge of providing public mental health services. They provided services to 300, um, I don't wanna lie here, I think it's 307,000 um, in 2020. And in, and in 2019, they only provided services to uh, 90,000 people. I think that's obviously due to the pandemic. I, I, you know, there's no uh, way around it. Uh, there, there was a study that reported that 39% more Puerto Ricans are reporting anxiety um, due to the pandemic. And so uh, because Puerto Rico has been suffering so, so much uh, before um, the coronavirus uh, crisis started, particular attention by, by specific uh, federal agencies at HHS should look at providing more resources to, to mental health in Puerto Rico. And again, in a, in a culturally competent way, it's not just language, but as you know, these are stereotypes, but they're true. Family is important. The way you approach people in Puerto Rico is important. Like for the life of me, I can't get my Puerto Rican friends to stop fist bumping with me. I'm like, namaste guys, we're still in a pandemic. I don't wanna, I'm a touchy feely guy, but not during uh, the virus. So those are the you know intangible things that you need to uh, put on the ground, but really the resources and the specific attention the problem requires. It's a very acute crisis of, mental health in, in Puerto Rico. Hearing these steps, I mean, I think they all sound like very logical steps that the executive branch can and should be able to take. Um, I'm curious to hear from you both. You know, we mentioned at the top of the show that we have an administration that's in charge right now that is willing, is more willing to listen than the previous administration. How realistic do you think any of these actions actually being implemented by the executive branch, you know, how realistic do you think these are of happening? First of all, I'd say we're, we're pretty optimistic. And this is, this is we're not, like you said, they, they seem like logical steps, but not a single one of these is a simple, easy step, right? So we're very cognizant of that. That being said, this administration from the very beginning, um, even before they came into office, we're already talking to us and other Puerto Rico groups um, very much paying attention and putting Puerto Rico at, as a priority um, as, as, as what we've seen so far in, in their policymaking and their thinking. They have put high level people within the White House focused on Puerto Rico. Um, and, you know, while yes, absolutely, they have, I mean, what they have walked into, right, is a disaster of epic proportions throughout the country. And so we're, we have to give them a little bit of grace, but that being said, what we have seen so far, like I said, even before they came into office was that they were putting Puerto Rico as a priority and that they wanna focus on it. And so we of course will continue to hold them to those promises. And we want to make sure that we are assisting them in any way that we can to get to the next step. But, and so this is not for us to sit back and say, okay, you know, they're listening. So we're just going to let them do their thing. Our job is of course, to continue to assist and to help push things in the right direction. Um, but, but I'm very optimistic about many of these pieces getting done. In fact, I think it was Jen, Jen Saki made a mention of the Jones Act the other day about the possibility of, of uh, lifting that for a while. So, so, you know, not not to say that's going to happen tomorrow. Again, very complicated, but but there is certainly a focus at the White House, and, and so I'm very optimistic. I, I completely agree with Laura. The the White House and and their senior level staff, both at the Economic Policy Council as well as you know several other key offices within the West Wing, have you know sat down with us virtually, obviously um, several times. Have you know asked us for information? Have been available on email and on the phone. Um, via Zoom, uh, and so we're we're very confident that a lot of this can get done. And actually, many of them are things that the Biden administration promised to do, and we're actually trying to help them um, sequence and and really figure how to do what they wanted to do in the first place. Right. So I'm so confident that they're they'll reestablish the task force because that will really help them, um, you know, plan out and and divide and conquer. Uh, with the rest of their plan and, and the recommendations that we post. So that's why we also divided them between executive actions and, and collaboration with Congress, um, because we are confident that these are things that are up the administration's alley, 
Many are things that he already promised to do. We're just giving him the tools um, and recommendations on how to move forward. And with Congress, there are things that the administration can do to move the ball forward, even though they don't obviously control what is legislated on the Hill. They can propose, for example, manufacturing incentives in their first budget, uh, equality under Medicaid, which is a big issue that's coming up in September, where Puerto Rico faces a, a fiscal cliff on Medicaid, where funding drops down significantly. Um, and so in, in pandemic times, we, we don't want that to happen. Um, and so we're, we're just really laying the groundwork for the administration to, for them to have like a wonky roadmap so that they're not in there figuring out, oh my God, there's these Puerto Rico problems. What are we gonna do? We lay them out for them. And, and we know that other experts are weighing in. There's a, a good community out there of think tanks, community activists and experts that uh, have made themselves available to obviously a White House that is a lot more open to, to constructive uh, suggestions. I'm glad you mentioned that, Federico, uh, especially that there, you know, the point that there is more to this article. We're just focusing on a little bit. And honestly, it feels like each of these actions could have been an episode in and of themselves. So just scratching the surface of what you all wrote um, for people listening, you want to read the full article. It's on uh, the Center for American Progress's website. It's titled An Urgent Rescue Plan for Puerto Rico. We're going to take a quick pause for the cause, pero no se muevan, porque when we come back, we wrap up our discussion with Laura and Federico with their best places to eat Puerto Rican food and what they are most obsessed with today. Stay with us. Los medios de comunicación locales son esenciales. En 2020, cuando las comunidades, las empresas y los ciudadanos se enfrentaron a una pandemia que interrumpió el flujo de la vida cotidiana, aumentó la necesidad de información local precisa. Información que incluyera qué negocios estaban abiertos, cuáles cerrados, dónde hacerse las pruebas, dónde encontrar ayuda. Pero cuando los medios de comunicación cerraron sus redacciones y se alejaron, la información no se detuvo. Exigieron responsabilidades al gobierno local, documentaron momentos históricos para la justicia social, compartieron la humanidad detrás de la tragedia. Mientras tanto, la financiación de ese trabajo se estaba agotando. Las empresas cuyos anuncios ayudaban a sostener los medios de comunicación cerraron o se paralizaron. Los ingresos desaparecieron. Donar hoy en SaveChicagoMedia.org puede garantizar que su redacción local siga informando de las historias que importan a pesar de la economía actual. Invertir en los medios de comunicación locales es financiar tu comunidad. Dona hoy para ayudarnos a hacer el trabajo que importa. Dona ahora en SaveChicagoMedia.org. We want to take this moment to say thank you again for listening. When you download our podcast or subscribe to the podcast itself, that makes a world of difference. So gracias for taking your time to listen to us. We also want to take this time to thank the sponsor of today's episode. This episode would not be possible without the generous support of the Puerto Rican Cultural Center. The Puerto Rican Cultural Center, located at 2546 West Division Street, right here in Chicago, is a community-based, grassroots, educational, health, and cultural services organization founded on the principles of self-determination, self-actualization, and self-sufficiency that is all activist-oriented. For more information on the work they do, give them a visit at their website at prcc-chgo.org. Again, that's prcc-chgo.org. Now, if you or anyone else you know would like to be a sponsor of the Paseo Podcast, please email us at paseopod at gmail.com. That's P-A-S-E-O-P-O-D at gmail.com. Tell them Joshua from Humble Park sent you. love asking our guests uh, what their favorite spot to eat Puerto Rican food is. Federico, I know you shared uh, where your favorite spots are. Um, I think you may have shared places in Puerto Rico and not D.C., but I could be wrong. Curious to hear from you, like D.C., the island, wherever, you know, what's, a, what's one of your favorite spots to get Puerto Rican food? So in D.C., they have the Borinquen Lunchbox, um, which I think Laura knows. They used to go to the Hill, and, and I used to see uh, Republican Congressman Raul Labrador uh, buying his tripleta, which is literally a triple sandwich of pork, chicken, and red meat. Uh, you know, all, all the great, greasy Puerto Rican yeah. uh, life that you can imagine. <laughs> um, and in Chicago, I don't know if it's still open, but back when I lived in Chicago, in a way, there was this restaurant in the Paseo Borico called El Boquerón. I don't know if it's still there, but it used to be great. 
Okay, Laura. I'm gonna take you. I'm gonna take you to DC suburbs. Uh, I live in Alexandria, and I've been stuck here for you know whatever 14, 15 months now that we've been in lockdown. Um, But La Famosa has some amazing pastries, uh, Puerto Rican pastries that uh, do not. I mean, they're just amazing. Uh, So I, I I am um, I'm partial to pork in general. <laughs> um, but but I, I've gotta I've gotta go with the pastries at La Famosa for for my favorite. Okay, awesome. Shout out to La Famosa. <laughs> okay, uh, Laura, let's stay with you. Um, what is something you are obsessed with today? It can be related to or unrelated to Puerto Rican culture. Um, it could be related to Colombian culture. What are you most obsessed with today? Um, I, I am I am a little bit obsessed with the January 6th events mm. and commission. It has been something that I have not been able to really like look away from, walk away from and follow every single step of. Um, it's as someone who used to work on Capitol Hill, um, both inside and around it, um, it was a really uh, awful day mm-hmm. and awful thing to watch. And so the Aftermath of all of that has certainly been on my mind um, and, and just is, is always kind of back there. Um, a little lighter, I th- <laughs> a little lighter thing is I, I am a mother of two. I have a, a seven-year-old and a two-year-old, so I'm kind of obsessed with them too. Um, my two-year-old is, is no joke. She's a, she's a handful. And my seven-year-old is the sweetest boy. So obsessed mom and also a little bit obsessed with politics. <laughs> right, Bonus question as a mother. Um, what's been one of your biggest takeaways working from home with your kids in the house during mm-hmm. the pandemic? Um, be okay with the interruptions. Mm-hmm. It's all good. Everybody's got them. You know, your internet can go down. You can have no kids, but your internet goes down. It's an interruption. You know, um, and everybody likes to see the kids on camera. There isn't like, I could be on a meeting with like the president himself. And I bet he would be like, hey, your kids are there. How are they doing? You know, it makes everybody happy. It's like seeing dogs on a camera too, right? Like pets and kids, it's all good. So like, relax, it's it's okay, is what I now tell myself. I dig that. I, I I feel that on so many levels. It's interesting to see how the pandemic has shifted what those social nor- those professional norms are for video calls. I've been on calls where the dog takes up the screen or the kids like, I'm, I need your attention, mom or dad. And people are just like, yeah, this is this is normal. Let's get back to the spreadsheet. You know, it's just like, OK, <laughs> sounds good. I, 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 I do. And I think it's a good shift. I think it's a good shift. Federico, what about you? What are you obsessed with today? Well, uh, on a lighter issue, uh, Middle East peace is obviously back. Um, I hadn't obsessed about that in a Gosh, while. You two are going heavy oh on God. this, oh, which is fine. I, I welcome it. I welcome it. And on an even lighter note, obviously, uh, we have news that the Manhattan DA is uh, forming a uh, grand jury on the criminal investigation into the Trump organization yeah. and having justice after a criminal, uh, you know, occupied the White House for four years would be nice. Um, but hopefully, um, whatever that investigation leads to is, is just if they don't find anything against Trump, great, at least they looked into it. And they have their his taxes. And if somebody broke the law, they should pay. Um, that should be a no brainer. But for a while there, it was not necessarily a given. And uh, I'm at least uh, glad that I'm not that obsessed about democracy as much as I was during the last four years, even though it's still crucial. I don't have to think about it every five seconds anymore. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay. Well, I appreciate you both for sharing uh, the light stuff, the heavy stuff. I think we covered a lot of ground in this conversation. Um, but for people that are listening, that want to keep the conversation going, that want to keep up with with both of you, um, how can people stay up to date? Do you either of you have a website, social media? Give us all the things. Uh, Federico, let, let's start with you. How can people stay up to date with what you have going on? Sure. So I wouldn't be doing my job as a consultant for CAP if I didn't plug CAP and CAP in Espanol and CAP Action. Uh, follow them on all of the social media platforms, please. Um, my personal uh, handle on Twitter is at F de Jesus Febles and my company at FDJ. 
uh, Solutions DC, and we're on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, the whole shebang. Great. Laura, what about you? Well, Fede got, got cat for me, so I'm, I'm, not, I'm not super active, but I do have um, a handle on Twitter. So my Twitter I'll handle is at this is Elrod. Um, a little, uh, it's a little like inside joke for, I, I got that the Elrod nickname when I was uh, working for the State Department and the staffers on the Foreign Affairs Committee gave me that nickname. And I said, you know what, I'm gonna embrace it. Um, so this is Elrod at this is Elrod is my Twitter handle. And of course, a lot of my work um, is, is on CAP. Um, and I am, uh, you know, actively tweeting and retweeting all of the amazing work that, that is coming out of the Center for American Progress. So please do follow us there. Was that, Laura, bonus question, was that, was that inspired by A-Rod? Is that why it was L-Rod? I believe so. Uh, I believe okay. so. If we had I time, would... I would like, what do you think about Jennifer Lopez and Ben Affleck getting together? She's no longer with A-Rod anymore. Jennifer's you know? back. Mm -hmm. You know, I've got opinions. <laughs> uh, round two of the Paseo podcast. We already yeah. got it locked in. Okay. Uh, Laura Rodriguez, Vice President of Government Affairs at the Center for American Progress, and Federico A. de Jesus, Advisor for the Center of American Progress. Thank you both for being on the Paseo podcast today. It was a pleasure. Thank you. That's our show for today, familia. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did or didn't, let us know, podcast at gmail.com or at podcast on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Stay tuned next week for an all-new episode of the podcast. We welcome local Chicago multimedia artist Ali Six to the show. We're going to talk about turning an idea into an actual mural, the takeaways he's learned on the Puerto Rican art scene, and what it's been like to be an ally to his siblings who are half Puerto Rican and half Palestinian, uh, especially with the Israeli-Palestinian conflict happening overseas. Until then, as always, if you want to pitch a story idea, nominate yourself or someone else for an interview, or share a news story you'd like us to discuss on the show, visit our website, paseomedia.org, to do just that. See you next week. Without our awesome guests, this podcast would not be possible. And without you, our listeners, this would not be possible. So we really appreciate you listening. If you want to reach out to the show, connect with us by visiting our website, baseomedia.org, emailing us at baseopodcast at gmail.com, and following us at baseopodcast on Facebook and Twitter. If you have a tip, want to pitch a story, or send us a compliment, we love to hear from you. Thanks for downloading this episode and see you next week. Cuídate.